All right, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to a verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, as we stand and open God's Word together. I'm just going to look at one verse, and we'll kind of frame it with the context and, and some other scriptures. But honestly, this is a verse that I uh, reference quite frequently because it's one of my life verses. It's one of those verses I hold dear to my heart, I quote often for me personally, and I reference it in so many other sermons where I think it just kind of fits the overall theme of what God has called us to. And I thought, this morning, I don't want to just reference this verse. I want to expound on this verse. I want us to really look at Philippians 3 and verse 10, which might become one of your life verses as well. I hope that after this morning it will. And I want us to break it down, to just kind of chew on it a little bit. And I want us to answer what I believe is life's most important question. And we're going to break that question down a little bit as well. Do you know Christ? Part of the Awana ministry's purpose for existence is to help boys and girls to know Christ. Let's look at this verse. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, and I'm reading in the Holman Christian Standard. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings being conformed to his death. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can know Christ. We can have an answer to this question. And I pray that as we break this question down a little bit further, that your Spirit would speak to our hearts and let us know if we truly know Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. You know, a lot of questions people have. I remember kids used to ask tough questions. Tina and I, we were in children's church one time, and they were asking uh, tough questions, everything from where clouds to where babies come from. And I just kind of walked out on Tina and left that with her. But uh, people can ask tough questions. Now, to, nowadays, people think, well, questions aren't really that tough, are they? Uh, why do people think there aren't as many tough questions anymore? Well, it's because you pick up your phone or you, you, you open up your laptop, you, you sit down at your computer, and if you have a tough question, what do you do? You Google it, right? Here are some questions that have become real popular on the Internet. Uh, some crazy questions people have asked. One is this, why is the word phonetic not spelled the way it sounds? Some of you elementary English teachers can answer that question for us. Uh, why are there interstate highways in Hawaii? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if there's an answer to that on the internet. Why do most airplanes have um, flotation devices under the seats instead of parachutes? That's a good question. Google it. Uh, why do the phrases slim chance and fat chance mean the same thing? Good question. Here's one that somebody asked online that I thought was interesting because I asked the same thing driving up at a drive through ATM. Why are there Braille dots on the letters at an ATM? Just curious. Um, here's a question a kid asked one time when he uh, got his driver's license. He says, do you need a horn? If the front of your car already says Dodge? <laughs> that's a good question. And, and here's one that's been asked on the internet a good bit. If a man is standing in the middle of the forest by himself and talking, and there's no woman around to hear him, is he still wrong? That's, that's a good question. Listen, there are a lot of questions nowadays. We, we just have it made. We're sitting... Uh, maybe in our living rooms or maybe driving down the road. Maybe we just can't, can't quite get to the bottom of something. And so we just pick up our phones and we don't even have to type it in. We can just 
hit a button and ask the question audibly and we have answers. But here are some questions that I'm going to be asking you this morning in this text about knowing Christ that you can't Google it. The internet can't tell you. As a matter of fact, and to just be honest with you, I don't know that I could answer this question for anybody but me. Or that you could answer these questions for anybody other than you. These questions relating to your knowledge of Christ. Now our mission as a church, we've said it over and over again, we're going to try to keep it before you as much as we can, is leading our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here today, to help our neighbors, the nations, and the next generation that's seated before us to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. Why does it start with knowing Him? It starts with knowing Him simply because to know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is to serve Him. If someone's not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because they don't love Him. If they're not loving the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because they don't know Him. Because to know Him, to truly know Him, is to love Him. And to love Him is to serve Him. So I want to talk to you about that question, do you know Christ this morning? Paul reveals his number one desire in this verse. He says, my goal is to know Him, a capital H, Jesus Christ. Christ. My goal is to know Jesus Christ. Now, this desire in Paul's life will fuel everything else, will fuel his drive for what he's accomplishing in his missions and in his ministry. Knowing him, he will grow into a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Loving Christ, Paul was even willing to lay down his life to give everything he had out of a love relationship, and out of that love he would serve him and become the greatest missionary the world has ever known. So I want to ask you three questions actually this morning to break down this one question. As we look at this verse that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, let's ask it this way. Number one, do you know Him personally? Do you have a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? This is the most important question you will ever have to answer in life. Do I know Jesus Christ personally? Not do I know about Him, but do I truly know Him? Paul says... I, personal pronoun, right? Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, he wanted the Jews to know Christ, and it broke his heart. He wanted the Gentiles to know Christ, and he went to the uttermost parts of the world to take the gospel. But Paul says in this verse, it's not just about my broken heart for the Jewish people, my, my kindred. It's not just about my missions to the world. It starts with me personally. I want to know Christ, do you know Him personally? you have a personal knowledge? I'm not talking about religion. Jesus did not come to give us more religion. Jesus came because He desired to have a personal relationship with you. And this word know here has to do with a relational knowledge. Not just a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge. It's been said that the, the difference between heaven and hell for some people is about 12 inches because that's the distance from your brain into your heart. A lot of people have a head knowledge of Christ, but they don't have a heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you know Him personally? In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, He came into His own, His own did not receive Him, but as many as received Him, meaning received Him as Savior, as King, as Lord of their life, as many as received Him to them, gave He the power to become the children of God. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. He wants us to become His children through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Later on in John's Gospel in chapter 4, Jesus is speaking with a woman at the well who wants to get into a little bit of theology at some point. 
Now, Jesus begins by asking her for a drink, but then later she starts talking about this relationship, this religion. Uh, Really, she was missing out on the right kind of relationship. Jesus said to her, if you only knew who it was that's asking you for a drink, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water that would have been overflowing to eternal life. So this relationship that she would eventually enter into with Jesus Christ when she would receive him as Savior and King would be something that would begin in this life and would well up and overflow into eternal life. So it's not just about saying, let me get my facts straight so that one day I'll go to heaven. We can know all about Jesus and know all the facts about Him, know who He is, where He came from, what He accomplished, and even believe the Bible is true from cover to cover. But if we do not receive Him as Savior and King and enter into a personal relationship with Christ, then we do not truly know Him personally. A lot of folks know about Jesus, but do you know Him personally? See, I could tell you about a fellow that I knew back in 1980. And, and I know all about him even today. 1980, though, uh, this fella uh, from 1980 to 82 set 11 NCAA records in football. This guy, by the time he finished three years of college football, had rushed for 5,259 yards. I could, at one time, quote all kinds of stats about this fella. The most all-purpose yards in college football. Most rushing yards as a freshman. And I knew that this fella had 900 and 94 carries during his time at the University of Georgia. Obviously, you know who I'm talking about. It's All right, everybody, obviously we're, we're this close to Athens. Everybody knows I'm talking about Herschel Walker. So I could say that I know him. I could even pick him out in this. I'm going to put a picture up here. I could even pick him out in this, this picture up here. I, I can point right to him. He, he, he's, he's sitting on the third row, almost in the middle. I, can, I could pick him. I know what he looks like. But do you know, I, I never had a chance to sit down at McDonald's with Herschel Walker, have a cup of coffee, eat a biscuit, talk about life, what he was passionate about. See, I could say I know all the facts and I could quote all the stats, but relationally, I've never met Herschel Walker. I I had his autograph because my mom passed it along back when she was a nurse for Team Orthopedist, but I didn't meet him. I didn't have a relationship with him. Now, there's a fellow up there, some of you recognize, we'll put the picture back up here. There's a fellow up there some of you might or might not recognize, see, because back then he had a lot of hair, but sitting right beside Herschel is Brother Mitch back there. And, man, Mitch, your hair looks great in that picture, brother. But sitting... Right to the right is Mitch Mollis. Now, here's the difference. I've met Mitch. I know Mitch. We are brothers in Christ. We can encourage one another. I know that on a Sunday morning, I'll get a smile and a hug from Mitch Mollis. See, that's something that is real. That's a a, a brotherhood, a, a fellowship. That's a relationship. But see, a lot of you, go back to this point. Do you know him personally? I know Mitch personally. I don't know Herschel personally. A lot of you know a lot of things about Jesus. You know know where he was born. You, You know the whole Christmas story. You know that he lived a sinless life. You know that he died on a cross. You know that he rose from the grave. You know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. You know all of the facts. 
but you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. And that is a big deal, that you know Him personally. Not that He's mom or dad or grandma or grandpa's Savior, but that He is your personal Lord and Savior, that you have a relationship, that you walk with Him and you talk with Him, that you go through life living with Him as your King and your Lord and your best friend. Do you know Him? Or just, do you just know facts about Jesus? You say, oh, well, what's really the difference? Here, here's the scary thing. Here's why you better discover the difference. Here's the scary thing. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It's why it's a big deal. Kids, this is why it's a big deal. It's why we want you to know Him personally. Yes, we love it that you can quote Scripture about Him, but do you know Him? Chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name, and then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. See, they knew all about Jesus, and they even had a heavy dose of religion. They did church. They cast out demons. They did miracles. And Jesus said, you might have been a very religious person, but I've got one problem here. You did not know me personally. Do you have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ? That is the most important question you'll ever have to answer. If you can answer that in affirmative, let's move on to the next question. Do you know Him powerfully? See, some of us stop with a personal knowledge, and then that personal knowledge has all kinds of doubts wrapped around it because we don't have a powerful knowledge of Christ. He says, not only do I want to know, have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, I want to know Him and the power, look at verse 10, and the power of His resurrection. Has your personal knowledge grown more powerful since the day you got saved? Has your faith become more alive today than it was yesterday or the day before? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, we're told that the same Spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. In, in, chapter, in, in chapter 8 and verse 9, a few verses earlier, it says, if the Spirit of God does not live in us, we do not even belong to Christ. So the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if we truly know Him and have entered into a relationship with Him, now lives in us. His power, uh, his power then through the Spirit becomes manifest in our witness because of the Holy Spirit living in us. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And so are we knowing Him powerfully in such a way that we're making Him known to others? Like so many of our Iwana workers and others that are serving in various places, and, and those of you taking a stand for Christ outside of the walls of this church, you know Him powerfully when you're making Him known to this world. And what's interesting is Jesus, when He first called His disciples, He said this, follow Me and I will make you to become fishers of men. I'll make you to become fishers of men. Follow Me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, there's a logical deduction here. If we're following, we're fishing. If we're not fishing, guess what? We're not following. Because He said if we follow Him, He'll make us fishers of men. So if we're following, we're fishing. His power is manifest not only in our witness, it's manifest in our walk with Him. Galatians 5.16, and this is a good one because some of you are like, how can I get victory over the sin that so easily entangles me? 
And Galatians 5.16 says, if we walk according to the Spirit, what Spirit? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That's how we know Him powerfully. If we walk according to the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In the next verse, he says, the flesh wars against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, so that the two are contrary. And you're like, man, I want to live in the power of the resurrection of Christ, but I can't get victory over sin. Yes, you can. You walk in the Spirit instead of walking in the flesh. All of us can get in the flesh with a choice to neglect the Spirit. Or we can choose to walk in the Spirit by yielding to the Spirit of God's work in our lives. Now, some of you are thinking, but Jesus, He's not with us in the same way. And in one way you're right, but in another way you're wrong, because Jesus said, if I go, I will send another. And that word another in the Greek is another the same. All that Jesus is comes back to us through the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He sent the Holy Spirit to indwell Christ followers, believers, to come and live inside of us and give us that resurrection power with which to live. That causes us to have the witness and the walk that God called us to have. So how do we get to know Christ powerfully through His Holy Spirit? Just real quick, let me give you three ways we get to know Christ powerfully through the Holy Spirit. The first one is to receive the filling of the Spirit. You say, wait a minute, you've already said Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says that if I don't have the Spirit of Christ, I don't belong to Christ, so I've already been filled with the Spirit. Not necessarily. Ephesians 5.18 says, be ye filled with the Spirit. And what it says there in the original language is, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Just because the Spirit took up residence in your home, just because the Spirit has come to live in your heart, does not mean that you have yielded and surrendered every area of your life. You can have an indwelling Holy Spirit living inside you, but not live the Spirit-filled life. So he says, keep on being filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? By faith, receiving the filling of the Spirit, saying, Lord Jesus, I surrender all that I am to all that you are to ask you to fill up every area of my life. And by faith, we walk in the Spirit instead of the flesh, and we receive the filling of the Spirit. And guess what? We leak. So we have to keep on receiving. That's why it says in Ephesians 5, 18, in, in a continual tense there in the Greek, that we're to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're to receive the filling of the Spirit. Secondly, we're to respect the feelings of the Spirit. Now this is the hard one sometimes. We receive the filling of the Spirit by faith, the same way we're saved, but we respect the feelings of the Spirit on a daily basis. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is not like the Star Wars force that might be with you. The Holy Spirit is the very person of Christ living in us. The very presence of Christ in us. He is called the Spirit of Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, living in us through the Holy Spirit, and we're to respect the feelings of the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we're disobedient to what the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. When we break God's heart with our actions when the Holy Spirit is prompting us to live holy and righteously, and we disobey, it breaks the heart of God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. So receive the filling of the Spirit, and then respect the feelings of the Spirit, and finally release the fire of the Spirit. Release the fire of the Spirit in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, don't quench, or some translations say, don't put out the Spirit's fire. See, the Holy Spirit becomes like that fire that's shut up in our bones, like, like the Word of God becomes, the Holy Spirit begins to prompt us to do things. Do we throw gas on the fire and release the, the fire of the Spirit? Or, or do we throw cold water on that fire? 
when the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. God, you know through His Word and through His Spirit, because you've been in the Word of God, you've been filled with the Spirit of God, you're yielded to the Spirit of God, He begins to prompt you to, to move in a particular area. Do you throw cold water on what God is calling you to do? When you have dreams and, and visions that come from God, do you say, oh, I could never do that. That's not possible for me. Somebody else will have to do that. Do we throw cold water or do we throw gasoline on the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives? When the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, do we try to dampen that conviction? Do we rationalize and throw more cold water on the Spirit's fire? Do we quench the Spirit? Do we put out the Spirit's fire? Or do we throw gasoline on it by getting into the Word of God and praying and believing God and saying, God's giving me this vision. God's giving me this passion. God has given me this prompting. He's moving me in this direction. And I'm not going to throw cold water on the Spirit's fire in my life. Do you know Him powerfully? Are you living the Spirit-filled life? Personal knowledge is a powerful knowledge. And finally, it's a passionate knowledge. Do you know Him passionately? And by knowing Him passionately, I'm not talking about the passion in our worship services. Although that's something that should be there. But here's, here's what the word passion means. It mean, he says, I want to know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. What, Paul? Conformed to His death? See, the word passion comes from a Latin word which means to suffer. That's why we look at the week leading up to Christ's death and we call that Passion Week. Holy Week is often called Passion Week. We refer to the death of Christ on the cross as the passion of the Christ because the word passion means to suffer. And Paul says, listen, and this is the hard part for all of us this morning, do we want to know Christ in such a way that we're willing to identify with Him in His suffering and in His persecution and say, you know what, I want to know Him passionately. I want to be able to relate to Christ in His suffering." That's the fellowship. That's the koinonia, the deeper relationship. I want a deeper relationship with Christ because of the suffering I experience in taking a stand for Christ. Listen to the verses in 1 Peter, which was written to a group, written to a church that was being greatly persecuted for their faith. In 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves also with the same resolve because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. And then look down to verse 12 in the same chapter. Dear friends, when the fiery ordeal arises among you to test you, don't be surprised by it as if something unusual were happening to you. People are acting like today in this world. Man, I can't believe how Christians are being persecuted. And even things that are beginning to creep into our own nation. Just, man, I can't believe the way the church and the body of Christ is being treated. Peter says, don't be shocked by that. He says, instead, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of His glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, and by the way, if you take a stand for Christ, if you know Him personally and you know Him passionate, uh, powerfully, you will be ridiculed. Kids, people will make fun of you if you stand for what is right. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you ahead of time, if you live for Jesus, somebody will ridicule you at the very least. And so he says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, 
you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If people are persecuting you for your faith, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, whether it's in your school or on your job, if you're being persecuted for your walk with Jesus Christ, he says, listen, that means God's hand's on your life. That's good news. None of you, however, he said, should suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, what does it mean to be Christian? To be like Christ. If you suffer because you're acting Christ-like, He should not be ashamed, but should glorify God with that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? Ask yourself the question, am I taking such a stand for Christ that it's causing me to be persecuted? If you say, listen, it's fairly easy for me to live out my Christian life, then ask yourself, am I really living it out powerfully and passionately? And maybe even going back to the first question, do I really know Him personally? See, in this passage, Paul gave his own testimony. Paul gave his own bragging rights in Philippians chapter 3. Before we ever get to verse 10, he says, listen, everything that I could brag about, everything that I've endured for the sake of the gospel, everything I've been rewarded for the sake of the gospel, I count it all as rubbish or garbage, or dung, whatever translation that you're reading, because we probably can't find a strong enough word in the English language that I could get away with saying from this pulpit that that equals what Paul was trying to say. He said it was refuse, it was dung, it was garbage, it was stuff you want to be far away from. That's what everything in this world, all anything that I've had to endure, anything that I've been rewarded by, compared to a knowledge of Christ, it means nothing. Some of you know the story, perhaps have seen the movie The Radicals about Michael, uh, Michael and Margaretha Sattler. During the time uh, of the early stages of the Reformation, Michael being a, a former monk, Margaretha being a former nun, had stepped out and said, listen, we don't think those leading the Reformation are going far enough. They were known as the Anabaptists because they were again baptizers. They believed that that uh, it, that just being baptized at the moment you were born didn't make you a Christian. That you had to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That you had to come to this age of accountability where you understood the gospel and you for yourself, not because mom or dad or anybody else, you had to come to a place where you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And they said they, they didn't feel like the leaders of the Reformation, even Luther and Zwingli, they didn't feel like they were making that clear enough. And, and so they were making that abundantly clear. And they, after they were committing their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ as an act of their own will, they were being baptized again. And so because of that, the church was persecuting them severely. Michael Sattler, on his stand for the grace of God's salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, was taken eventually and he was, with hot tongs, had his tongue removed, and he was thrown into the fire alive. And two days later, they brought his wife, Margaretha, to the same place. There was a river that flowed right by where he gave his life. And they said, you want to be baptized again? We'll baptize you again. And they held her under the water until she drowned. We look around and we say, "I I don't know if I could take a stand for Christ. I don't know if I'm willing to 
somebody to laugh at me at school, somebody to put me down? What if it might hurt my job situation? Anyone, the Bible says, who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do you know Him passionately? Do you know Him powerfully? Most importantly, this morning, do you know Him personally or do you just know about Him? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, look at all these things we've done. We were religious. We know all the facts. That I will say to them on that day, depart from me to eternal darkness. I never knew you. Do you know that you know that you know you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me right now?